near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and the music album Home. Today we're going to share the two experiences, one from Fiona and the other Rue, and uh, both of these can be found on enderf.org, which is the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. Fiona says, I was in intensive care. I had about eight tubes in my body, including a feeding tube through my nose and something to help me breathe. Before the experience, I had problems breathing and dreamed that I was in a swimming pool and gasping for air. I could not swim to the surface and felt like I was suffocating. Then a thought entered my mind that I should find the stairs and get out of the pool. I found them, climbed and climbed until I suddenly found some air. At one point, I saw very intense colors. The color red was too intense, so I decided to focus on one of the white walls of the small area I was in. It was not a real room. Soon after, I saw a most beautiful blue color. It was comparable to the sky of a nice day in Georgia during the fall or spring when there is no humidity. The blue was a gorgeous and awesome color. The entire area I was in became blue. Then I left my body. I do not remember going through a tunnel. It all happened quickly. I did experience the most exquisite light. It was not hard to the eyes, and it was a very special light, unlike what we see on earth. It was vastly peaceful and gracious. The peacefulness is what I remember most. At one point, I was above my house and saw my husband and daughter at the sink. I wanted to be with them, especially my daughter. A voice, neither male nor female, asked me if I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back. Then I was woken by the voice of a nurse. She said to me, Be still, you just underwent expansive surgery, and it's important that you do not move, or something to that effect. It's not a verbatim quote. I touched my abdomen and felt a large scar, and then I knew. As of today, I like taking pictures of the sky wherever I travel. I still like rainbows. We often take pictures when we see it and stop to look at it. That is the end of Fiona's account. And this one's an interesting one because Fiona was not, did not experience clinical death as far as we know. In fact, she describes it as being like a dream. And in this dream, she is, she feels like she's drowning. 
and there's, you know, it's like she needs to find the stairs to get out of the pool that she's drowning in. And at some point she finds herself, you know, getting out of the pool and then begins what sounds to me like a near-death experience. That makes me think that perhaps, and I don't know if it normally works this way, but perhaps the feeding tubes and things that were that felt so foreign and so strange to her and uncomfortable um, put in mind drowning to her her psyche and in her her dream. Now we've probably all had dreams where we're either suffocating or drowning, but we don't usually have a good a good uh, basis in reality for our sensation, whereas hers is based in this uh, medical situation where she is, you know, has tubes going down her throat and so forth, and it's and it's very uncomfortable and probably feels a little bit like drowning. And so in her dream, when she's drowning, it may have tricked her spirit into leaving her body because that's what it sounds like happened. She is seeing these beautiful colors, starting to have a near-death experience, and then she finds herself leaving her body, not going through any tunnel, but... She does experience a most exquisite light, as she describes it, um, that didn't hurt her eyes, but should have. And she's feeling all this peace, and she even finds herself above her house and sees her husband and her daughter at the sink. Now, some would reasonably ask, well, how does she see her husband and daughter if she is above the house looking down? But remember, in the spirit form, you see things in not even three dimensions. It's more like all dimensions. And while she doesn't seem to notice the inconsistency of what she's saying, I mean, even somebody making up a story would know to include that. But this is so natural to her, I gather, that uh, she doesn't think to explain that what she's seeing is both the top of the house and her family inside, which isn't possible for a mortal, but for a spirit, it very much is. She says, I wanted to be with them, especially my daughter. And she's asked by this uh, apparently disembodied uh, voice that doesn't come across as either male or female to her, who asks her if she wants to go back. She says, yeah, I want to go back. And then she wakes up and continues her life. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, let's go on to Rue. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's R-U-E-I. So I think I'll pronounce it Ruai. Okay, so Ruai says, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy in 2014. My lethargy during the day became uncontrollable. Therefore, the dosage of my medications had been increased to the point that my body couldn't take it anymore. During this time, I also had a car accident, which hurt my shoulder badly. Even with rehabilitation, it was getting worse until one day I felt like dying. After counseling with the doctor who had diagnosed my symptoms previously, he suggested that I see a cardiac doctor and asked him to evaluate my conditions to see if I could take higher dosage of stimulants. With the completion of the assessment, the cardiologist said I had no heart problems, and it was safe to increase the dosages. I asked him how to treat my 
prolonged dizziness or temporary abscess, uh, absence seizures. He arranged a medical procedure for me. A few days later, I was on the tilting table for my procedure. I felt my heart racing, and then it changed to a vibration. Within a couple seconds, I was under cardiac arrest. Medical personnel gave me emergency CPR. However, I did not remember it completely. Still, I knew I had a dream. I was under the veranda of a roadhouse building. It looked like a Da Dao Chang Square in Taipei. While I was walking, I met a few anxious men who were smoking and talking about themselves, but I could not hear them clearly. Then I walked around the corner. There was my guide, whom I could not tell his appearance, but he seemed to be my deceased maternal grandfather. He was talking to a gatekeeper from the other realm about me. He was impatiently telling me, Hurry up! We will be late! The gatekeeper's face was very distinct. But when I focused to have a close look, he looked blurry to me. He was holding a spear, wearing a hat, and was tight-lipped. We communicated telepathically about concepts and emotions. In a split second, time appeared to be very fast, but again slowed down somehow. It might have been a long period. Suddenly, I fell into a long, dark tunnel that was shaped like a cylinder. The tunnel kept changing from big to small, then big again. It was elastic. The darkness had not been seen on earth. It was very dark, but yet it was a bright dark. It might have been illuminated from the light afar. I noticed myself as a ball. I had no body form, but was just a dot. I eagerly wanted to pass this dark tunnel because I felt bewildered. Intuitively, I knew that once I arrived in the light, I could have all the answers. Abruptly, there was a loud voice from a distance. I could not recognize its gender. It seemed like a mixed male and female voice. It was calling me, come back, hurry back. At this moment, I had my doubts, but replied, back to where? Right after my question, I was pushed forcefully. I could not tell where, where the touch was coming from because I was in a ball form. I knew which part of my body was nudged after waking up from resuscitation. It was on my chest. I felt my soul being sucked back to my body through the back of my neck. Looking at a high beam of bright light, I saw a doctor holding a medical pen light to check my eyes. Although I was saved, I did not remember where I was, what was my name, or who were my family. Glancing at nurses and doctors, all of a sudden, I was in a self-defense mode. I came to realize that I did not know them. A nurse spake to me. We pulled you back, finally. She grabbed my right arm and would not let go. I was confused about time, not remembering the date. I even thought I should be in bed at home. I told the nurse that I had a dream. Still, I was not aware of being on the table for the medical procedure. 
they decided to notify my family and told me what had happened and told me what had happened to me. I was diagnosed with an onset of asystole halfway through the examination. The doctor gave me CPR immediately. I regained my memories afterwards. I was diagnosed with a sensitive vagus nerve reaction. One of the doctors strongly requested me to see a cardiologist for a follow-up. I went home after a 15-minute rest. After this experience, I always found conflicts between my mind and body. When I sat by the bed, I did not know where those memories came from. My mind was telling me that things I had known or done before were wrong. Things I thought were right and good decisions made back then, nonetheless, they were all wrong. Yet things or perceptions I thought were wrong or unacceptable, they all were corrected. Up to this point, my morals were totally fallen apart. I was not sure why they were why they all were incorrect for the past 20 years. I could not accept myself like this anymore. Besides, I was not sure how to continue my life. I simply lost track of time. So I decided to hang myself. I tied a belt to a door, on a doorknob. Before I proceeded, suddenly I had an idea. It was as if I could take the pains from suicide then why should, if, if I should take the pains of suicide, then why should, shouldn't I wait until the end? After all, if I did not wait up until the end, I would never know what could have happened now, regardless whether it might be good or bad. Although my view of ethics had been broken down, I did not know all the results or answers yet. I decided to live instead of seeking death because I still wanted to know what kind of journey that my life would be. After my first NDE, I never thought it would happen again in six months. It took place when my heart unexpectedly stopped. I was seen by a cardiologist. Later, he told me my case was rare in Taiwan. He suggested that I stay in the hospital to undergo the electrophysiology test to find out if there was a real heart problem. After the pre-procedure test of EKG and the heart ultrasound, the doctor told me everything was normal, so I finished my procedure tomorrow morning, then I would be I could finish my procedure tomorrow morning and then I would be released. The next day during the procedure, there was six seconds where ventricular fibrillation appeared on the screen then it disappeared immediately during my procedure. The cardiologist asked me if I was feeling all right. I knew that I was fine. Then I heard a set of numbers called out. Promptly, I was in the roadhouse building again. I saw the gatekeeper. However, my guide had changed. This time, it was a hunchback old grandmother with a voice that was loud and strong. I did not know her, though. She yelled at me, saying, Follow me! I replied, yes. I went back to the reality. I could not see precisely everything that was in front of me. I only saw an oxygen mask on my face. But I was not breathing voluntarily. 
I was in panic that I was panicking that without oxygen support, I would immediately die. I focused myself on breathing in the oxygen. I was surrounded by medical staff. I was not sure what had happened to me, and I could not hear what they were saying. While my eyelids could move, my eyes could not. My whole body could not move, and my chest was in pain. I could not talk, but my mind could answer doctor's questions. As time went by, I started to move my right hand and point to my chest, telling them it hurt. I heard my doctors say that the pain was due to the electric shock burns. He then placed ice cubes on my chest. The doctor told my mother that I had an acute cerebral infarction. To my knowledge, it was temporary. I was sent to the intensive care unit for recovery. I also went through an eight-month rehabilitation therapy after being released from the hospital. That is the end of Rui's experience. And Rui is a woman uh, who had her near-death experience in 2015. Now, when Rui first has her near-death experience, she first dies. You know, remember this is during a procedure and she's, they're giving her emergency CPR. She finds herself under the veranda of a roadhouse building, which looks like Dao, let's see, Da Dao Cheng Square in Taipei. Now, I have never seen that before, but I, I just did a Google search to look and see what that looks like. And it's, it's a very big city kind of an area, you know, where you've got these kind of box buildings, one after another, a whole line that's one big, long building of businesses all along, and um, almost like a outdoor mall or something like that. Um, in some of the pictures, it shows, you know, bikers, but uh, it, it's a very city-intense uh, location, from what I can tell which is interesting to me because Rue is not very clear about whether she is actually seeing, if she's actually in this place that she's describing, this uh, Dadao Chang Square, or maybe somewhere similar, or whether she is on the other side and seeing something that looks very much like it. But she does say, while I was walking, I met a few anxious men who were smoking and talking amongst themselves, but I could not hear them clearly. Now, she is in Taipei herself, if I'm understanding correctly. So I gather that she is actually still on Earth, and she is just out of body. And so she's seeing this, this place probably not far from the hospital, maybe near home, I don't know. Um, But uh, then she does say that she sees a guide whose appearance she couldn't make out. There's that not recognizing her in in, uh, indistinct face thing. And he's saying, hurry, we'll be late. And uh, next thing she sees a a gatekeeper, as she calls him, and uh, 
he has a very distinct face, very clear, but when she tries to focus on it, it becomes blurry or unfocusable in some way. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's something about that face thing again. I think it has to do with not, or with those who are not there to stay. I'm not sure, but that seems to be a pattern. She also says that they communicated telepathically about concepts and emotions. And at this moment, time seems to be speeding up or slowing down or both somehow. It's, it seems to be going back and forth, she says. Time appeared to be very fast, but again slowed down somehow. And it might have been a long period. So uh, there's something about time um, expanding and contracting in some way. And next thing she knows, she falls into a long, dark tunnel. Does it feel like she tripped on the street and fell into darkness? Or does it feel like she just, you know, zones out and then is in this darkness? I don't know. She's not clear on that. But, uh, but she, the tunnel is also fluctuating, is changing from big to small and then big again. It was elastic. kind of sounds like that's what time was doing too. And I, I can't help wonder if sometimes when a person is still in their body, or I should say their body is still alive or about to be revived or somehow still connected to their spirit, um, if there is some kind of crossover in the experience between what the body is experiencing and what the spirit is experiencing. Some have described pain, but more often it's other things, um, voices or sounds, sometimes visual aspects that they will make out, that they're kind of halfway between both places, it seems. And, and maybe that's what's going on, I'm not sure. Or maybe there's something else entirely. But as she's in this darkness, she finds herself, it, she talks about it being a bright dark. And I can't help wonder if it's a darkness where there is light shining into this darkness, making it so that anything in the darkness will be illuminated while the darkness itself may continue to look pitch black. But she says it might have been illuminated from the light afar. She says, I noticed myself as a ball. Just a tiny dot is, is what it sounds like. Now this sounds like a description of what I would call the intelligent conscious form. No body. She says, I had no body form, but was just a dot. And yet, as she is shoved back into her body, she feels the shove as if on her chest which is interesting, being a ball. But it again reflects this kind of connection to the body, kind of not idea, and perhaps also the kind of thing that even in the uh, spirit conscious form, there is a sense of moving a hand or moving parts of the body that are not there. There's the sense of doing those things, but just not a body reacting to it. Now, is that some sort of phantom limb syndrome? I'm not sure, but uh, I gather that there is still some psychological body even within the intelligent conscious form. 
but I have to get more data on that. Anyway, so she comes back, and she, for the rest of her life, I guess, up, up till now, um, I gather that she has this sense of conflict between her mind and her body. And with that conflict is also a disconnect between what she was taught was right and wrong versus what her spirit seems to be telling her is right and wrong. They seem to be a little bit flipped on their head. And she's not sure, at least at the time, she says, I was not sure how to continue my life. I simply lost track of time. And and so in this feeling of disconnect with her body, with her mind, and so forth, she decides to kill herself. But she doesn't end up going through with it. And it it sounds like the reason is that she still wanted to know what kind of journey that her life would be. That sounds like the kind of reaction that the spirit has rather than the body. The body wants to be done with it or perhaps the body just doesn't know what to do with itself. It's confused at that point. I don't know. But um, her, her spirit seems to still have an interest in what kind of life or journey that her life would be. And then she goes on to have another near-death experience later on during an uh, electrophysiology test. And um, in this, she is back at the uh, roadhouse building in Dado Cheng Square. She's back at this location, which, you know, that makes me question, is this a place on the other side that she's seen? Or is she going back to this kind of earth-based checkpoint where she's going to move off from? I don't know. It's interesting, though, that she ends up back in the same place. And she says, while her eyelids could move, her eyes could not. That seems backwards to how it sometimes is for people. But as her body can't move and her chest is in pain, um, she can sense that she is still able to understand the doctors and trying with her mind to tell them. But of course they don't understand. And finally she gets enough um mobility to be able to indicate by with her hands that uh, her chest is hurting and they say that's because of the electric shock burns that they used to get her back so apparently she was again coded and that explains why she would go back to you know leave her body again and unfortunately there's no more special detail about this time around. It was probably a much shorter time, but still very interesting. So that's, that was Rue's experience. Okay, and as we finish up here, um, I would like to make a request to those of you who have read my book, Life in the Spirit World. Could you do me a favor and get on Amazon and give it a rating? Now, obviously giving it a rating, you know, so many stars and so forth will help. But writing a review will do even more. 
if you can just write a few words about your thoughts on it. Um, be a little specific, you know, don't just write, this is great, you know, because the, the, often people will read that and be like, yeah, right, that's a bot or something, you know, be honest and uh, and just share your feelings, your thoughts, any, any negatives, that's okay too. If you really didn't enjoy it, share a negative review. I mean, it's, it's the balance of reviews that, uh, that makes it clearly an honest um, experience for people when they are getting on and considering buying the book. That just helps it to be more likely for people to be able to find it on Amazon. Um, I'm not one for, I, I, I'm not a very great business person. I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur and so I'm always trying things, but I'm always underselling myself and I'm always, you know, oh, you don't have to pay full price and you don't have to do this and, and stuff like that. So I feel uncomfortable asking this of you. It's just that it really, really does help. And, uh, the books are selling slowly but steadily, and just, uh, and so I, you know, I believe people are reading them. I've heard from a few of you who have said very, very kind things about the book, and I deeply appreciate that. And if if you guys could just write some kind of little review on it, that would just really help to support my efforts in the podcast, in, in you know, as an author, uh, yeah, the podcast itself, it, it deeply encourages me. I've considered writing uh, more books on near-death experience related topics. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on what kind of thing you'd love to see more of. Um, right now, the most likely curiosity that I have in terms of writing another book is writing a book on finding your purpose in life, finding your life's purpose or following your life's purpose or perhaps, you know, fulfilling your life's purpose, something along those lines, because that has been such a journey for me. And, and I feel like I've learned a lot, both from you guys, from, from the podcast, from listeners who have responded. And it really means a lot to me. It really does. Um, so any of your feedback on that would be great. And again, if you can write a review on Amazon, that just helps a ton. Also, if you're just, if you haven't read the book, but you're enjoying the podcast, it also helps if you get on your podcast, uh, program, uh, a lot of people use iTunes, for example, get on there and write a review. Just say something about the podcast, um, give it however many stars you think it deserves and uh, and that just helps people find it. It, it tells the, the programs that, that people are listening and that they're engaging with it. So anyway, so that's how you can support the podcast. <clears throat> you can also do so by purchasing my album, Home, which you can find on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org and then click on store. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can also go to patreon.com slash NDE podcast and you guys you know regardless I, I don't do this for the sake of business um, and I would do it even if it was free 
but it does really help and that's why I bring up those things it just mostly means a great deal to me that people are listening and that they are touched by the podcast when they are and uh, and so I just want to say to all of you thank you so much for listening <laughs>